Do you have anywhere urgent to be right after this? Probably a nap. Another episode of Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I'm the Idea Lemon co founder and your show's co host. I am alongside my co founder and co host, Martin McGovern, aka Marty McFly. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help us all better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we sit down with Aaron Bahadur. Aaron is a fitness instructor as well as a very popular blogger, but she's got an incredible story around overcoming adversity, which included serving nine months in prison. So we asked the question, how do you overcome adversity? Before we dive in, I'd like to invite you to head on over to idealemon.com, enter your email address there. It's totally free. By doing so, you will join our amazing tribe of people, never miss an episode of this show, and be in touch with all the cool stories that we share around building your brand and doing the things that are important to you. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Aaron Bahadur. How do you overcome adversity? Let's listen in. So my story, I'll try to keep um, this part a little concise because I, I, it can go on for a little bit. But um, the gist of it is I um, grew up like a very normal kid. Um, I played sports. I had a lot of friends. I um, did really well in school. I loved school. And um, so when I got to college, I ended up experimenting with drugs. I, I had a boyfriend in college who I found out was um, smoking marijuana and um, I almost broke up with him and then I had a bunch of friends who were like, it's really not a big deal um, and I saw that you know nobody was dying or like ruining their lives so I figured that I would try it and um, I did that and after that point um, I think that I became a little more open-minded to trying other things. I immediately noticed like a, a sense of, of relief when I would do it because I, I um, used to put myself under a lot of pressure. Um, well, pretty much up until like recently. I was very like high achiever, um, very perfectionist. And um, when I drank and when I did drugs, it kind of took all of that stress and that pressure away. So while I was in college, I um, ended up experimenting with, with a lot of different drugs. I was drinking a lot. Um, but I was still able to maintain uh, my schoolwork and keep those lives very separate. And I graduated college uh, in three years with a psychology degree. And then I decided, uh, I don't know what to do with this. And I don't really want to go and be a therapist. And I don't want to really follow any conventional uh, career paths for this. And 
So at that point, I decided that I wanted to go to pharmacy school because all throughout college and part of high school, I was working at a local pharmacy. So I'd worked there for a couple years. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was good at it. And so I ended up applying. Uh, I got in and then I had to move out on my own. And so I was in a new county. I was in a new area with where I didn't know anybody. I was away from my family. And I used um, drinking at this point again um, to really kind of deal with those emotions and that, that stress that came with totally like a new way of life because that's the only thing that I really knew how to do. And at this point, I didn't really know where to get drugs. And so it was really, I was doing a lot of drinking. Um, I was by myself. And it was something I, I felt like I really couldn't uh, control a lot of the time. Like I, I had this great vision of like, I will sit back and I'm going to read a book and have a glass of wine. And then I would go through like a box of wine. It's like once I started drinking a little bit, it just, you know, kept going. And I was really unable to stop. And so um, I ended up getting a DWI. I came home from school for a while to visit some friends over one of my breaks and we were out drinking and I drove home and I got pulled over and I got a DWI. Um, but the original reason that they pulled me over was because I didn't have a front license plate on my car. So I rationalized um, me being pulled over for that reason. And so I didn't take any responsibility for actually drinking and driving. and didn't really do anything to change my behavior except that I realized that uh, drinking was way too conspicuous now. So I had to kind of find something else because heaven forbid I actually try to like deal with my emotions and things that are going on in my life. So um, while I was working at the pharmacy, um, I started to take uh, a couple of pills here and there. I, I was very like scientific about it and I wanted to see, oh, what are the effects of um, taking this kind or, or this kind. And in doing that, I came across, um, you know, Oxycontin, Percocet, those kind of painkillers, those opiates. And I, uh, that was, that was it. Like that was my drug. And I continued to take them from the pharmacy. Um, at this point I'd been working there for a number of years and, and I had like built up trust of everyone. You know, I was still very secretive in my life. Um, I kept those two parts of me very um, separate. And so um, I was still going to pharmacy school, still doing all that, but it the my addiction kind of started to progress. Um, those kinds of drugs have a lot of physical dependence associated with them, so I couldn't I couldn't really stop using them even even if I had wanted to without it being very evident that something was was going on. And so my use picked up, and um, during one of the summers while I was still in school, I came down um, to work there again for a little while over the summer, and I'd gone on vacation um, to go visit visit friends or something during the summer. And during that time, while I wasn't there, um, the state came and did a random inspection of the pharmacy, uh, which they'll do every now and then, just to double check that like the count of the pills is the same as what you've ordered and all that. And um, they found a huge discrepancy because I, I had gone in and I was very comfortable with the computer system and, and I had changed everything around to try to cover my tracks. And um, so they had done that while I wasn't there. And 
So I came back. I didn't know anything about it. And I was about to go back up um, to pharmacy school again. So I was going to like stock up. And I did that. Um, I took a bunch of pills. Um, I took some bottles of pills. And that night I went home and I got a call from the sheriff's office, you know, that that they had done this inspection and all this stuff was missing and they'd like to talk to me about it, just ask me some questions. So I went in um, and I, I didn't know that the police could lie to you. And they told me that, um, you know, if I, if I turned in anything, if I had stolen it, um, that I would only get charged with a misdemeanor, uh, which was like theft under a hundred dollars. It wouldn't be that huge of a deal. Um, because they had informed me that a lot of the pills that had gone missing had happened while I was working. And so it, you know, it really looked like I had something to do with it. And so finally, after they talked to me for a while and they told me that, um, about the consequences, you know, I agreed, um, I turned in the bottle and I lost my job that day. So I had worked there for about eight years at this point. And, um, you know, they told me they would continue looking for, for whoever did it because I was adamant you know, that I didn't take anything else besides, besides that one bottle. And so a little while later, um, I, I was served with papers that charged me with everything that was missing. Um, and a lot of the potential sentencing recommendations were, were felonies, were multiple years, um, in prison. And I still really didn't know what to do. Um, and how to cope with this, and still my family didn't know anything about it, my friends didn't know anything about it, and so I, I freaked out, and I, I just started using more drugs, because I really didn't know what to do, and so I, I had found somebody um, that I could buy the same pills from, but at this point I had lost my job, I didn't have an income anymore, and I really wasn't able to afford to continue doing that, and um, I decided that I was going to switch to something that was cheaper. And uh, at the time, one of my favorite shows was The Wire, which is still you know, an amazing show. But I lived, my, my school was right outside of Baltimore. And so I was like, hey, Baltimore has heroin. I don't know where to get it, but I'm going to just drive up there and drive around and ask people on the street where uh, I can find heroin. And so I did that. Um, and I was able to find some people, and um, I finally found one person that I could call regularly every time I would go up there, and that is how I started using heroin. And I used my, um, my pharmacy school knowledge, uh, my science background, and just looking up on the internet, and I taught myself um, how to inject it, and I was using it by myself in my apartment, um, sometimes in the car after I would get it in, in Baltimore, and my life just became miserable. I, I was um, very alone, nobody knew what was happening, and I was still trying to maintain these, these double lives. and. Um, I, I did that for about three more months until like I, I finally like woke up and I, I was like I don't I can't do this anymore and so I ended up calling a rehab um, and the one that I called told me that 
you know, I would have to bring somebody with me because they they were going to give me a medication. They didn't want me to drive on it when I went home. And so I told them, you know, I don't, I don't have anybody. I don't know anybody up here. And okay, I don't have to go to rehab. And then I like, hung up the phone. Um, and they called me back and they said, you know, we just, we want you to come anyway. And so I went there. I had just enough money to put uh, gas in my car. I drove to rehab, checked myself in. And then um, that was May 20th, 2010. And that is my clean date. So it's been a little over six years now. And I started to put my life back together. Um, but I still had these court charges that were, were pending. And um, I had to tell my, my school, my pharmacy school, um, I told them. They told me that they could no longer have trusted me, which is what you need in a pharmacist. And so they dismissed me from school after three years. So I never finished that. And I ended up going to court. And I assumed that because I didn't really get in trouble at all, um, it wouldn't be a huge deal. And I was, you know, three months into my life being better. And um, I think they really used my case as an example um, for other people. And I got charged with a year uh, or sentenced to a year in jail, um, five years of probation, uh, community service, and a couple thousand dollars in restitution that I had to pay back. And so they immediately took me from the courtroom uh, to jail, uh, which I was not prepared for, and I, I ended up spending nine months in the county detention center. Um, I got out, finally, and, um, you know, I had to, I had to find some way to put my life back together. So I was no longer allowed to work in a career where I was dispensing medications. That was a condition of my uh, probation. And so that's really the only thing that I had ever done. So I got that job in high school, and I, I did it up until I, I lost that job. And so um, I had to, to apply all over the place. It was like a full-time job just to apply for jobs. And it took me about three months, and I finally got one uh, because they didn't do a background check. And I ended up being a receptionist at a chiropractic office, and then pretty soon after that I got promoted, and then um, I switched jobs to a similar field. I was doing admin work in a physical therapy office. And then um, during that time I, I ended up getting married uh, to my husband, and we moved out here to Chicago about two years ago. And then from there, I, you know, I was really not very um, excited by admin work. Um, it wasn't very fulfilling. And so I decided that I wanted to get certified as a personal trainer because I'd always been really into exercise um, and fitness. And I wanted to be able to help other people because um, during, t during some time in my recovery, I had actually had some issues with that as well. So I was no longer using drugs, but I um, started to kind of abuse food and exercise um, as another way to try to like control my how I was feeling, my surroundings, everything like that. And um, I had to, it was like a reality check for that. I, I was running uh, ridiculous amounts. I was keeping like separate um, exercise calendars of like my mileage. I ended up like giving myself a stress fracture because I, w I was running way too much. And then I was also like not allowing myself to have any, any foods that 
I wanted. Everything had to be like quote unquote healthy, and it was very restrictive. And and I I knew something was wrong with that, and I had to start like talking to other people to realize it was kind of an insane way of living and, and kind of get help from other people with that as well. Um, and so I had been through all that and, and come through it and, and was finally like in a place where I felt like I could, um, balance those things. And so, um, I wanted to be able to help other people in their own journeys, um, and let them know that it's not like, it's not about aesthetics and like looking a certain way but it's more of like a process and a, and a journey and just an overall healthy way of life and so I got certified um, as a personal trainer and so that's what I do now and I also um, teach some fitness classes here in the city and I do some writing um, I have a blog that I write uh, called Aaron's Inside Job and I do that as well and then I'm just trying to live and keep doing better every day and I feel like that was not concise at all, but that is my story. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks I, for sharing. I, there are a million follow-up questions I have, and a million ways, and a million things I want to explore further. With this. Okay. Um, thank you. No, but I, I, I'm really happy you yeah. shared that full yeah. in depth and everything. I want to know. So you spent, you said, nine months in prison. Yes. What can you talk through what that was like and your mind? Yeah, it was. It was actually really boring. Um, so it was. I I um I grew up in a small county in Maryland. There was like a lot of farms and it was pretty rural. So I was actually in like the their detention center. Um, it was just a very boring place. There was there was like no, um, there were like limited books to read. We would get we, <laughs> that's something that like I care about. But um, you know they would they would give a lot of preference to like the guys in the jail so they would always get first pick of everything and then the books would come around and we would have like romance novels because they're like oh girls like to read that um and there was just like one tv in there we all had to share in like a common room and it, it was just i like i slept a lot i think i was probably pretty depressed at that time so i i slept we had awful food um but but really it was just like a boring time and i i really wanted to like get out. <laughs> so, I mean, you kind of mentioned you were living the double life thing for a yeah. while, but then obviously when you go to jail, that, that right. evaporates and your family finds out. Oh yeah. Um, what was their reaction? So I, I actually cannot remember when I told my family, like what was going on. It was before I went to court because I, obviously this is like a big deal. This is like, there may be very dire consequences. So I, I told, um, my mom and my sister and my brother, um, about it beforehand, but I can't remember what happened. I just know everyone, everyone was obviously shocked. Um, if they were supportive, nobody was like, you know, I shun you get out of my life. Um, I think they were just very confused at not being able to like see the signs. Um, or even really to know what they should have been looking for. And they, everybody came to court with me um, that day. Um, they were all really upset. And I actually had a bunch of friends who were in recovery with me. They came down um, from the other county I lived in to testify on my behalf. And so I, I basically was like, yeah, guys, it's fine. It'll be great. And then we're in there, and then I get this sentence, and they, t like, they take me out immediately, and it's just, like, devastation all around. Like, I was in shock. I didn't 
I didn't cry because I didn't really know what was happening. And then there's like people like my family in the in the courtroom that are like crying and it was really pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's what's what I think is interesting when you talked about so then once you were in jail um, and you started to, I think the word you you were to use was abuse food and yeah. exercise. Yeah, that's something I know Martin and I we've we've talked about this before, but it's like it's the addict mindset essentially yeah. is like because Eminem, you know, he, obviously yeah. he went through a crazy addiction, but then he replaced one addiction with another, and he got right. super into working out, and he said he would go, he would run like eighteen miles a day. Right. <laughs> uh, to the point where you know, like he couldn't even walk anymore. But yeah. a lot of that came from the fact that like the addict mindset is such where you have like if you're going to remove one addiction, you've got to get addicted to something else. Yeah, um, it's like so. Like what? M- like my recovery, I went to twelve um, step meetings, and I did the rehab I was in was like an intensive outpatient um, place as well. But like that's a certain period of time, and then to maintain it, like I, I would go to twelve step meetings, and and that helped a lot. So what? I learned um, in there, we all had very different, um, very different stories, but it was all the emotional underlying part of it was all very much the same. Like we all came from different backgrounds, but the, the main thing was that there's like, there's some kind of hole like inside that we feel like we, we have to fill. And so we do that with drugs, with alcohol, with gambling, with sex, like with anything that can change the way that you feel. Um, because there's also, um, there's also like the inability to kind of deal with life as it comes. Um, and that's, that's what I was doing. Like anytime I would be uncomfortable, it, it made me feel better to be able to control something. Um, that way I felt like I had a handle on things, you know what I mean? And, um, so it's, it was very easy for me once I stopped trying to like I stopped going to as many meetings and that's when the exercise thing like sort of came into play. It's like my life was back on track. I was feeling better. I was like, great. I don't need to to waste as much time going to these meetings. And then um, slowly that started to come back in. And it's, and, and like the addict way of thinking too, it's, it's very black and white. It's very hard to find balance. And so it's, it's like all or none, you know what I mean? So um, throughout, even throughout when I was still using, I, I would exercise either like excessively or I would not exercise at all and sit on the couch and like eat pints of ice cream and be like, I don't have time for that. Um, there was no like balance in between um, is what I've found. So I had to try to like find that. And finally, I think it clicked for me um, a couple of years ago. Um, the other The other thing with that is I chose exercise and food especially because I was very image focused because I I feel like I had so so little self-esteem on the inside and I felt like, you know, if I look this certain way, if other people see me this way, then um, they'll know everything's fine and then I'll know that everything is fine and I'll be great. And, um, you know, the goals that I set for myself, if once I reached them, they were never enough and I was actually... The, the most miserable inside, like as I got closer to those goals than I was any other time. And so that's also when it kind of clicked that it's like to, to actually live like a well and balanced life, I need to do that work on the inside first. Um, and dressing up the outside isn't going to do anything to help me get there. So, yeah. 
<laughs> I think it's interesting that you touch on the piece of self-esteem. Yeah. Because uh, I think a lot of the the decisions that we make in our life come back to how we're feeling and like the day-to-day moments and mm-hmm. and what our self-esteem is. I know um, that's like a really hot topic kind of when people are talking about education now. It's like education, the system is sort of built to break down your self-esteem, like tell mm-hmm. you you're doing things incorrectly. Yeah. Um, whereas what it should be doing is helping you build self-esteem so you can actually question how things work and try yeah. and find a healthier way to move through life. So I'm kind of curious um, as, as like you think back to when you were younger and, and this mm-hmm. and, and struggling with self-esteem, what were some of the early triggers that, that maybe set off the chain of events? Um, I think that, so I think a lot of the things in my surroundings when I was growing up um, kind of played into that. Um, there would be, you know, people in in my family who would, uh, you know, talk very disparagingly about themselves, and so I kind of, I kind of learned through that that it's like, oh well, well if I don't look this way or if I don't um, achieve this, then then I'm going to feel bad about myself, and so I need to try and do the opposite, which is why I think part of the the overachieving and everything started to come and. Um, it's interesting you brought that up about the education stuff because I was also thinking not too long ago that um, I didn't I, I didn't feel like I had a self esteem issue when I was in school like you know elementary through high school I think because there were so many um, opportunities for like praise and awards and like gifted programs and things like that and so. I got a lot of those growing up and that kind of reinforced that it was like, oh yeah, you, you did a really mm-hmm. good job. Like I was a very good test taker. And so, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't imagine know that as like a resume, <laughs> like bullet point. Good at taking yeah. tests. I'm going to put it on my resume. <laughs> it takes test swells. I was very good at like regurgitating information that, that people wanted. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, I got a lot of those accolades and that's what kind of like made me feel good about myself. And then as you get older and you're not in school anymore and there aren't as many of those opportunities, then I was, that, that's where I started to feel kind of lost because I was like, wait, like nobody, nobody externally is saying like, you're good. Like you're awesome. You're so smart. And I wasn't able to do that on my own. And so I think that's why when it started to kind of go down, Mm -hmm. um, downhill, because I didn't have that internal sense of like, you're good enough, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So how do you root your self-esteem today? Um, that's a good question because I, I don't know what changed. It's very frustrating because I'm a very, <laughs> like, I'm a very, like, um, I always say, like, I want, uh, a recipe for like solving a problem, like follow these steps and then you will have this outcome. And that's like not how life works. And so sometimes it, it just takes time and like processing and like so I've gone I've gone to therapy obviously I've gone to these meetings I've just had um interactions and opportunities with different people that have I think just all culminated in like finally accepting myself as a person so I can't I there's like not one thing that I can point to to be like this is what has given me self-esteem it's just um like constantly being willing to look at myself, look at my actions, uh, my motivations, and like take criticism, um, ch- like just be open to trying to like 
better myself as a person. And just over time, I think that has helped me um, get to where I am. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lot of, and to go back to what you mentioned with the with growing up and everything, it's, yeah. it's almost like, to come back to the idea of the adversity, a lot of it is dependent on where are you getting the validation from? And when it's an extrinsic motivation or an extrinsic reward, while that can be helpful, it's also, it also can be very damaging because you have no control over that. Right. Um, It's, and, and the existence of that reward can get taken away at any point. Mm -hmm. And that's where, I mean, I think particularly with, with school and even with, with like athletics and things like that, Mm-hmm. it's there's, there's a difference between, and I, and I think this is, I've, I've noticed this with a lot of the people I went to high school with um, a good amount of the people who were like, you know, in the top 10 of the class, mm-hmm. they have not gone on to do like super remarkable things. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's cause a lot of that top 10 and I, I don't say it's like disparage them. I mean, like, you know, they haven't like yeah. started a business or becomes, you know, this crazy CEO or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that is due to the fact that what was driving them was the validation of getting the A and, yeah. and getting the, oh, the teacher, the teacher knows I'm the smart one. But right. then once that structure is taken away after you graduate college, mm-hmm. it's like, well, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then And then it's like a lot of these people are – you know, working like middling jobs right, at, right. at a large corporation, which isn't bad, but it's like coming their, their, their rise. <laughs> it was almost like, and it's the same thing with like, you know, the jock in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like peaked in high school. Yeah. They, they yeah. peaked at 18. Yeah. And they haven't figured out like what's the next identity they need to claim because their identity was created by everyone else. And they, they thrived off of that. Oh yeah. That's so interesting. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no. And I think, I think like now that you mentioned that it is cause it's very easy to just go along. It's like, okay, well, what do I need to do next to like, to be awesome? And it's like, oh, you, I should take this test that proves that like I'm a genius or something. And then I get this award. But, um, and so I think in, in my case, I kind of like, you know, I like peaked, I was like number seven in my high school. So, um, <laughs> I was up there and then, so that hit home what I just said, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, but it, no, but it's true. And so like, if, if I had, if I had continued, if I had continued that way, it's like, I would go to college, I would get my degree and then I would just kind of like do something, um, that, that I got my degree in. Um, but for me, it's like, I kind of was going up and then I lost everything, you know, I lost my career and my future and, and all of that. And then it was really like, well, like, who are you? Like, like, what are you going to do now? Because obviously I'm at the bottom. I have to rebuild. And it's like, how are you going to rebuild? And that's, I think, what has made me kind of work harder and try to kind of think outside the box because I came up against all these, like, roadblocks. You know what I mean? I couldn't just go conventionally get a job after I got out. Because people yeah. were like, hey, you're a thief. <laughs> yeah, it's and it, it's it's truly it's like in your case, it's a situation of your back being against the wall and mm-hmm. there's a whole industry that has rejected you now. Yeah, yeah. And that's the um, only industry, as you said, that you knew. Right. And so that was actually like really difficult. And I think I think um, having to go the path that I did, it's it's really opened me up to um, to other opportunities because 
I mean, if none of that had ever happened, I would have just gone to pharmacy school. I would have been a pharmacist. And honestly, I probably would have been a pharmacist like forever because once I'm like uncomfortable in things, I'm like, this is, this is fine. I'm going to ride this out. It's great. Um, and I wouldn't have like this entirely other worldview and I wouldn't, um, have to like think of different opportunities or different things that I could do with my skill set because I would just be comfortable where I was. And mm -hmm. so that's why I'm kind of like grateful, um, Obviously, in retrospect, you can be grateful for it, but sure. like everything, everything that happened. Yeah, it's a lot. And it, it really comes down to a lot of it is what's the mindset you're taking into it and then mm -hmm. taking out of it. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, like my, my big thing right now, my, my big adversity moment right now is my knee injury yeah. and having this gigantic cast on my <laughs> leg, you yeah. know, to like the point where I can't really like poop normal because the cast comes oh, so yeah, far yeah. at my leg. <laughs> Uh, and it's annoying and it sucks and everything, but I'm still doing whatever I can to like make my life happen. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a matter of like, if you see yourself as limited, then you are limited. Right. Uh, right. and, and I'm not sitting here trying to like, you know, run a race with this or anything. Like I, I obviously <laughs> know I have limitations, but yeah. Like, you know, as you guys have seen with the Instagram stuff that I'm doing, like I'm, I'm figuring out how do I do yoga, even though I'm like slightly derailed here. Right. Um, and it's actually, it's making me a stronger yoga teacher now because I've, I've forced to, I was forced, I'm forced to better learn about the body. Yeah. And now I know all these modifications and I, like I could, I could, I know I can do an entire 60 minute class mm -hmm. while sitting down and now I can teach that to someone. Hey, if you have a low body injury, here's what you can do. Yeah, I think I think that's amazing because I saw, you know, I saw on your Instagram and it made me so happy because you were like, hey, I found out, you know, I can do this move. I just have to modify it. And you were like so excited. And I was like, that's so great. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's nice. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's it's really so that's one of the biggest things that I took away from everything is it's your perspective is is hugely important in, in how you deal with the situations, because I think um, when I was in jail, you know, I was there and I was like oh my God, like this is not anywhere that I ever saw myself. And I think it was just so extreme for me that, that it became easy for me to, to, to just change my perspective and be like, what am I going to do with this? Because it was just so ridiculous that I had gone from where I was um, before to, to then. And that I was like, there must, there has to be like some kind of reason why I'm here, like why this is happening. And so you just have to take whatever situation you're in and, and try to learn the lesson or try and see the positive, um, in it. Otherwise it's just gonna, it's just gonna take you down. You're going to get stuck. You're going to be stagnant. And, and jail for me was, was actually really important because I found out that I had been, I had really been lying to myself, um, the whole time because I got so used to lying to the police and lying to even my friends and my family a little bit because you know I told them yes I took this bottle of pills but I really I took everything that they that they charged me with but I was afraid that if I said that out loud that I would I would get even more in trouble and um, so I stuck to that story for so long that I was really just lying to myself and I was justifying it and it wasn't until I got into jail that I realized I, I wasn't really taking responsibility for, for what I had done. And I was still like making excuses. I was like, yeah, well, I wasn't getting paid enough. And so this is why I justified like taking the pills. And if that cop hadn't lied to me, then I wouldn't be here. But it was never like, 
Aaron, you, you stole stuff over like a period of months. Um, you, these are your consequences and this is what you deserve. And Mm -hmm. so that was the lesson that I took away from that. And I don't know that I would have gotten there unless like I had such severe consequences, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. The consequences and, and and this is what I think is interesting, um, Mm -hmm. is it seems like this is just the human norm is we don't make changes unless there is something drastically significant that shakes us out of our complacency. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, we need pain. And is that yeah. like, mm-hmm. is that really yeah. it or like, and, and does that have to be the case? Like, do we have to have something so crazy happen for us to you know make a change or is that just what the common I, story is? I think it's probably the common story. I think there's, there's people, um, like there's there's people like my husband who are very like entrepreneurial, such a hard word to say, and um, <laughs> and and he'll like you know he he would ha- he has a good job and but it's not really something that he enjoys doing very much and so just recently he he's starting to get involved with like a startup and like do something that he really cares about and and like take that kind of leap. Whereas for me it it's like I said before, if I get into something that like is good and fine, I'll kind of like carry on doing it unless something like extreme happens and I need to change. Like for instance, the, um, that chiropractic job that I had when I first, um, my first job when I got out of jail, it was run by Scientologists and it was insane. It was an absolutely crazy place, but it How did you leave me, out that detail? I know. I don't even. I don't even know. They they made me go to like Scientology classes, like some training things, and I was like, "What is happening?" But I was like so scared because it was the only job I was able to get that I right. stayed in it, and I was miserable, and I would come home and I would be crying, and you know, he he was like, y- "You can get another job," and I was like, "Oh, that's so you know so weird." Like addicts especially can withstand a tremendous amount of pain before anything changes, but like. Like for, and like for his example, um, you know he he wants to be proactive and like make these changes and and try those risks. But I think a lot of people, um, you know, are scared of that. And um, it's just easy to be comfortable. You know, it's it's just easy to stay where you are. And until until like a big factor comes or something very painful comes that forces you out of that comfort zone, I think a lot of people, you know, are fine just staying where they are. Yeah, and I think I think this is interesting, especially with the comfort and discomfort piece, because there's so much out in the ether, especially in the entrepreneurial space, about like, you know, take control of your lifestyle and live a lifestyle that's right for you. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we've we've had our rants on the work from anywhere culture and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the opposite rant which is like if you're going to be an entrepreneur you have to work literally 24 7 all the time like we're doing a podcast on a saturday right right right. and like thanks guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks for being on um and so i i've always found it very interesting um internally of like getting caught between what others say you should be doing Mm -hmm. and what i actually feel like i should be doing Mm -hmm. and so i've had times where I've worked myself to the point of, um, you know, burnout and yeah. it was unhealthy. And then I've had times where I've taken a day off and been completely insane, wishing I was doing something other than watching Netflix. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and like it, there's there's somewhere in the middle that that's where I'm supposed to be. It, right. And and I think it's really interesting as we talk about comfort and discomfort. Um, 
there it really is kind of what is and this goes back to what you were saying earlier about like knowing yourself and and knowing mm-hmm. your motivation if you know your motivation um it really helps figure out what the balance is between yeah. comfort and discomfort yeah. so i'm kind of curious um for you as you're you know working on your your projects and everything that you're mm-hmm. doing where where are you finding that you're falling back into comfort and where are you finding that you're like disrupting that comfort um so i so i'm doing like 8 million things um i uh so like I said, I'm, I'm a personal trainer, and I so that means I will either go to people's um, places or they'll come to mine, and I'll train them. Um, I'm teaching classes, and I'm also uh, managing um, some corporate fitness in a couple locations in the city. So I'll, I teach classes there at different places, and, and I'll manage the schedules of everybody else that's teaching. And, um, and then I have all of my blog stuff, which is is something that I'm extremely passionate about. Um, and I do like whenever I'm not doing the other stuff, I'm doing that. Um, because it's, it's so important to me. Um, just like the writing and, and the, the getting the story out and, um, and doing all that stuff. And so I'm, I'm pretty much doing one thing or the other, like from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep. And, uh, for me, it's, it's really about always taking the time to like stop and like ask myself um, how I'm feeling. Like, do I feel like I'm like going crazy or I'm working too much or um, am I close to burning out? And so far it hasn't happened, but like I am, I've gotten very good at like um, the introspection part of it just from being in recovery and like checking in with myself. Um, And I know, like, if I start getting, like, cranky, if I start, like, snapping at my husband or, like, other people, um, if I'm tired all the time, that it's it's important for me to kind of stop and take a step back, even if even if I may not want to, um, just, like, maybe taking, taking a day off, like you said, um, or just even taking, like, an afternoon and just kind of calming it down, um, doing something like reading or just walking or something to, like, clear my head so I'm not focused on that. Um, all the time because it's very easy, especially if you do things that you really enjoy to just do them like all the time. You know what I mean? And, um, be like, this is amazing. I need to help everyone in the whole world. Um, Mm -hmm. and and you can't do that all the time. So it's it's really just checking in like with me and being like, how are you feeling today? Like, how are you doing? I I think that's really cool because I think a lot of times people will see you either working too much or not working at all, and they'll give you their opinion of how you should be doing oh, yeah. during your day. And so, like today, you know, I've been up since you know seven a.m. Uh, working, and you know, my roommates see me, and I, and they're like, "Wow, you're like, you should probably take a Saturday off." And then I yeah. start thinking, "Oh, <laughs> I should like, take oh, yeah. it." Mm-hmm. Well, and then I'm like, "Well, I should take a Saturday off," but then inside, I'm like, "Well, why did you just agree with that? Did you yeah. think that, they did that?" And now I'm confused, right. and I'm. Ah, what do I need to be doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what's so interesting. It's like one comment from someone can just really kind of, if you're not aware of yourself and you're mm-hmm. not aware of where you're at in the day, um, can really kind of start a circular thought process. Yeah. And I, um, I think what happened for me is that I lived so much of my life based on what other people said um, that – it it was so exhausting and I did it for so many years that up until just like maybe a year or two ago, 
um, something just like switched and I was like, I don't have time for this. Like I can't, I can't hear what everyone says and then constantly second guess myself um, and wonder if I'm doing things right or wrong and, and doing the comparison game and all this stuff because it's exhausting. And so I had to just be like, you know what, like these are my values, these are my morals, this is what I think about X, Y, and Z, and that's it. And so um, as long as you know those things, like the, those core things, um, it's much easier to just kind of, like if somebody says that, be like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I will if I want to or I'm just going to do this. And then just, you know, you, you start to get a feeling of like what you know is the right thing to do for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and kind of along those lines, something that I've been, I guess, doing over the last several weeks is, like, like I'm at a point right now, and we've documented this on our last several episodes for our listeners who have been following along. But, um, you know, we've we've shifted idea lemon back to a side business. Martin works full time at Startup Institute. Uh, I'm taking on like the freelancer mindset essentially, mm-hmm. um, and I'm focusing more on. Uh, getting yoga teaching gigs uh, and like consulting opportunities essentially. Mm -hmm. And what I've, I'd say like three weeks or a month ago, or maybe maybe it was like three weeks ago. It was like a, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, back to back to back where I was doing stuff, but it wasn't necessarily productive. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I got to towards the end of the day and I was like, I think I've just like stared. I've like clicked between the tabs <laughs> on my browser for a long time today and I've stared at my inbox yeah, and not really done anything. And then someone sent an email and I've replied to that and I've convinced <laughs> myself that I'm doing work when I'm not. Yeah. Right. So, and I realized that and I was like, okay. And the only, and, and, I, and I, I'm only sitting around until whatever, five, six, seven o'clock because I feel like I'm supposed to, otherwise I'm not doing work. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, like this injury happened and everything. And especially after the surgery now, it's forced me to slow down. Mm-hmm. Like, like physically, I have to slow down. Yeah. And what do I, and like, you know what I've done with my mornings the last uh, almost two weeks now since I had the operation was I increased my morning meditation from 17 minutes to 30 minutes. Nice. And then I do an hour of yoga on my own after that. And then, you know, between like the hassle of showering and everything and how much <laughs> yeah. longer that takes, you know, it's a solid two, two hours and 15 minutes out of my morning. Mm-hmm. And then I'm figuring out, okay, what do I need to get done today? What do I want to get done today? And then when I hit the point where I'm like, okay, I think I've done everything. I'm not, I'm not convincing myself. I need to keep sitting, staring at a screen in order to tell myself I'm doing work or doing or, or yeah. acting busy. So I've replaced that with, and, and there have been a couple days here where I've worked late because I've wanted to keep exploring something or looking into something. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily like what you might call quote unquote work, but I'm still pursuing some craft of some sort or a, or an interest of some sort. But I've replaced a lot of that time from before of just staring at the screen with reading. Yeah. And like, whole, like I got I just finished uh, this book called Shoe Dog. It's by Phil Knight, the founder of <laughs> Nike. Oh, nice. Um, oh, I've heard of that. Highly, highly recommend it. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, it was, I mean, it's so good. And the combination with that and the fact of just like slowing down and not convincing myself that I'm busy, I, it usually takes me like two months to finish a book. This mm-hmm. took me like nine days. Nice. Um, because I would just like be like, okay, I did some work. Now I'm going to go read for like an hour and I'm going to go yeah. back and do some more work and I'm going to read for an hour. And the reading is beneficial to me. It's not like I'm just like, oh, let me just 
whatever yeah read twilight but even if someone right. else read twilight that's fine <laughs> but like this is something that like i latch on to because it's like his entrepreneurial journey right, and everything, right. And, I'm, and i'm learning from that and then i'm able to dispel it into this podcast as a result <laughs> and it, a lot of it is again it's like the mindset you carry into it and I, and my my revelation just to repeat myself is I, I, I'm not going to, I'm done convincing myself that I have more things to do than I actually have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's great. And I, and I think last, my last year, last summer, um, I, I did a lot of that. I like, I made myself feel bad because I was, I was reading a lot. I went through like this crazy, like self development or personal development, like, and then business reading like phase. And I was reading like, <laughs> a ton, like all throughout the day. Um, I wasn't working as much. Um, and you know, I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm so lazy and I'm not, I can't do anything. And, um, it was actually during last summer. Also, I, I found out I was actually diagnosed with, um, clinical depression. Mm. Um, and I, then later I was like, Oh, all right, maybe that's what's going on. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, it, it's, and then like all of that has been, was like important for me at that time. You know what I mean? Like it was things that, that I needed to to do and go through and I've been able to take all that with me and, and learn from it. And, um, and so then I still do that today. And I, it, like I said, it's really just about like checking in and being like, what, what do you need today? Like, do you need to keep working right now? Do you need to relax and like watch Netflix or, you know, read another book? Um, and, and just kind of, check in with myself and see see what needs to be done absolutely and it and yeah. it really it really goes in waves i think mm-hmm. um kind of what you were saying earlier of the all or nothing mindset yeah um and i i i was having a conversation with someone recently and i made the joke i'm like oh yeah i'm really leaning into my workaholism lately and then they were <laughs> like they're like oh wait you should not do that and i was like mm, okay yeah maybe but and then at the same time i was like going back and forth i'm like but I always I like to surround myself with people who work a lot because they're passionate about the things they do, right. and then you know it kind of goes into this whole thing. And kind of as you like peel the layers back, uh, we we're just saying you know it's it's you ride the waves. It's yeah. if if you're interested in the things, you know sometimes I'm in that I need to take a step back and just sort of find peace in things, and then you know and then I find a new a new challenge to take on, and it's it's full steam ahead. And I think my only fear in any of it is being a, is is falling into the workaholism mm-hmm. over things that don't matter. <laughs> like right. that's that's the right. time when I get scared. Like if if I think if I think everything I'm doing matters and is actually working toward and building on top of itself, then I get really excited and I'm like, yeah. oh, I won't work till midnight. Like this is all being archived. This is all building on <laughs> skills. This is yeah. all. This is all connecting to me, and yeah. then and then I'll find myself working on something, and I'm like, oh, wait a second, this seems really not like it's gonna benefit me in the long run. Yeah. Oh no, I'm just workaholic for workaholic's sake. <laughs> that's what that's what you're referring to, Raj. Where it's like convincing yourself there's more to do than there actually is. And, yeah. And I th- yeah, I think it is about riding those waves and just checking in to make sure that you're not doing work for work's sake. Yeah, and that's huge. And and so it's just always like just constantly reevaluating because it's like so if if like family or friends are important to you and that's something that you value like in a well-balanced life and then you you're working all the time and that starts to fall then i think it might be a problem like for you individually 
with your set of values and that's when you have to reevaluate like what's going on and I think a lot of the people who um, you know could be defined as workaholics um, it, it can also be um, kind of like a crutch kind of like also I'm not comparing them to drug addicts but like a way to to deal with or not deal with life you know what I mean like I'm I'm not gonna really think about what's going on in my life right now I'm just gonna work all the time um, mm -hmm. and I think that kind of just like blind like that's a that's a person that doesn't look at what's going on and look at how they're feeling they just kind of throw themselves um, into their work so I think as long as like you know you and you know what's important to you and what equals balance in your life then you can figure out if you're working too much, if you're not working too much, and what that looks like for you. Martin, what you had said um, about the idea of, well, the way you were summarizing it and saying for yourself, you don't want to just be working for work's sake, uh, right? That's how, that's how you phrased it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that actually brought to mind uh, the new book I, I, I started reading is called <laughs> Team of Teams. Uh, it is by General... McChrystal, uh, he's the one who like led the Navy SEAL operation to take out Al Qaeda in Iraq. Oh, nice! And he was basically able to like restructure how a military operation functions. So it's a it's a book on management essentially, and and team building. But what he, I'm I'm just gonna like read it basically verbatim here. Um, well, what I'm reading is the summary of like the takeaway, one of the takeaways in the book. So it's about efficiency versus effectiveness. An efficient system is not necessarily effective, especially if the output of the system is not what is needed or it does not make use of the inputs available. Creating an effective system can sometimes reduce its efficiency. For example, when a system is designed to take in pizza ingredients and produce pizzas, gets altered to take in pie ingredients and produce pies, it retains processes that made good pizzas, but reduces the quality of the pies mm. or it can overlap or it can overlook opportunities for increased quality or efficiency in pie making, even if the system produces pie just as quickly as it produced pizza. So the idea here behind this is that there's a difference between efficiency and effectiveness just because something is efficient. Like you can have a very efficient process, but get shitty outcomes. So therefore mm -hmm. it's not effective. And what the, the 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 idea here is to strive for something that is effective instead of efficient, because effective can be efficient, but efficient does not have to be effective. Oh yeah, that sounds cool. I want to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that and that I think is a lot of the stuff where it's like, where are we spending our time? Are we spending it on things where it's like, okay, I'm working, mm -hmm. but I'm it's like to to cover your own like ass in your mind's eye. To say like, yeah. yeah, I'm working. I'm I'm va I'm validating the fact that I'm working, versus am I doing something that is productive? Am I doing something that's effective? Yeah, that was my my issue. Um, actually, working like a nine to five job in an office because I, I was a very efficient worker, um, and like all the tasks that you give me, I'm like I do them very quickly, and then I'm like, okay, so now I'm done, uh, but I'm required to be here for like eight hours. So I'm just going to click on this mouse and like yeah. do some things. And that always really bugged me because it was like you're required to be there for this period of time. But like you can get the work done and like different people get it done at different times. You know what I mean? And so I was like and then we weren't even allowed to be on like Facebook or anything. <laughs> so I was like, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. There's a um, so the 
sports talk show host Dan Patrick. Um, he is an ex ESPN guy, and he always has a lot of scathing things to say about ESPN. <laughs> but to the point of like efficiency, he to that point he kind of treats it ESPN like they only care about efficiency and not effectiveness. So like ESPN will come out with a wrong you know, with a false story, and his, the the line he always uses is, "Hey, first but wrong is still first, right?" <laughs> and and that and he he goes on like these tirades about how as long as they report the story first, it's all that they care about. Uh, uh, but it's it's that same idea of like, well, yeah. I finished everything in twenty minutes, right? But it could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but hey, we were still first, right? <laughs> um, Martin, I want to get a window into you've you've kind of been in like the background this whole time, and you've <laughs> asked good oh. questions, but you've shared very little about yourself. <laughs> um, where, oh my! Let's get vulnerable. Where maybe that's the name of the podcast. Let's get vulnerable. Yeah. Let's get vulnerable. <laughs> Behind door number one, a tiger. Uh, I I do have a tiger in me. Oh, okay. Ah, <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, what comes to mind in your own life for adversity, or like, what do you think is your either right now or overall your greatest moment of overcoming adversity? Well, so I'm going to go back to what I asked you prior to the podcast. What's your definition of adversity? Uh, well, how do you define it? This is me asking you <laughs> questions, bastard. This, no, this, <laughs> this was what I wanted uh, answered so I could chime in. <laughs> <laughs> Take it in the direction you please. <laughs> oh, adversity. Things that held me back. Is that, is that what we're kind of getting at here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a situation that is not to your advantage. It is okay. <laughs> it's struggling. So I would say the biggest, um, and we touched on this earlier, but the biggest uh, adversity that I've had in my life is self confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout my entire life, um, I believe that I, at one point in time, was very internally self-confident in the things that I enjoyed and the things that I liked and the things that I wanted to create. And over the years, that was um, very much told to me to be the wrong direction to go. So I was a very artistic kid. I was very interested in like nerdy things. Um, I was definitely a very weird, like Jim Carrey was my favorite actor and I would just say alrighty then to the point that it would annoy <laughs> literally everyone and uh, it was just you know it was one of those things where I was this super uh, emotional super over the top super energetic kind of weird kid and a lot of that was like hey stop being weird stop being weird stop being weird over the years which led me to just stopping myself to a certain point mm-hmm. and I remember you know, there's lots of times where I'd want to do things but censor my thought process in order to not be weird and just fit in. And I think I did that very well of fitting in um, to an extent to the point where I was suppressing a lot of my own – it was coming out in, in other ways. Like I'd party on the weekends too much and things like that. And so – as I started realizing that I was really unhappy in the job that I chose, in uh, the friends that I had made, in a lot of the relationships I was in, I started saying, well, why am I so unhappy when I'm doing what everyone told me to do? Um, I, 
they said this is the way life should be and I checked all the boxes. And what ended up happening was once I got to the quote unquote successful place of that first job out of college, I was, you know, just absolutely miserable. And so I would I think over the past 5 or 6 years I have been deconstructing all of that mm-hmm. bit by bit. Um I, you know, started uh, Smart Owl, which we've talked about on previous episodes, which is a design company and worked on that till four in the morning and uh, outside of my day job and commuting. And then after that, I started Idea Lemon and started chipping away at things. And, you know, more recently, I started doing improv to really just break down those sensors that I had in my head of you can't say these things, you can't do these things, you can't act that way. Um, and since we're, you know, talking about, you know, uh, behaviors that were negative. I remember, I remember when uh, I was in college, and I'd go out and party on the weekends, and people would say, "Oh man, you're really weird when you're when you're uh, out partying. Like you're you turn into like this really weird and crazy guy." And I'm like, "No, I use the alcohol to justify being myself." Mm-hmm. And that was a joke at the time. But what's funny is like I haven't drank since November. Because uh, when we started building our company, I I wanted to be productive and I wanted to go full on, and so I just cut out all bad habits. And basically, what I realized between doing improv and cutting out uh, drinking is that I found I am just naturally a wacky, crazy person who loves to dance and be really weird and off the wall. And I was just using alcohol to justify those behaviors, and so. I went to my brother's bachelor party and everyone else, you know, was having drinks all day long. I didn't have a single one. And we go out to Division Street in Chicago. And while we're out on Division Street, I'm the only one in the crowd of people dancing. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like finding bachelorette parties. I'm pulling people in. They're going back <laughs> off to the sides. And, and the entire bachelor party is standing off to the side, sipping their drinks like, I'm like, why aren't you trying to have fun? I don't get it. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, Because it's not fun to just stand there and watch other people, or at least it's not fun for me. And so I would say that throughout my life, it's been a path away from the weird, true person that I am, and then a path back. And if anyone sees my Snapchats, it is a weird, weird personality coming out. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad it gets deleted every 24 hours. But <laughs> it's it's definitely um, between improv and taking away any of the social crutches that I had and just embracing the fact that I'm a very strange and weird and out there, hopefully comedic person from time to time. Uh, I would say that that has been the biggest adversity of being told not to be myself and to just be normal. And uh, we have a phrase with idea lemon, it's lean into weird. And that's the thing that I've just, uh, I've, I've overcome and built that self-esteem and that self-confidence in order to be that way, regardless of what it is that I'm doing. Thanks. So you actually, <laughs> but I, you take an addict mindset things, uh, addict, addict mindset to things then, or a degree of it. I do. Um, I, I, I wouldn't put myself in those shoes just because I don't know what those shoes are. But uh, it is something that when I'm really interested in something, I go all the way to the point of potentially burning out. 
Um, and I've gotten better at that over the years. I've found ways to, you know, take a step back when I feel burnout coming and I journal every day to make sure that I'm like checking in with, as we've said throughout this podcast, checking in with myself and checking in with how am I feeling that day and everything like that. But yeah, I, I am a pretty all or nothing person. And what I am also trying to get over is that all or nothing mindset, because I also find that that stops me from doing a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. Like I want to, I want to create a daily vlog, but I haven't, and I don't think I could today, because uh, I'm so terrified of what the people's opinions would be if I did that. And so, um, oh, now you have to do it. Yeah. Well, now, yeah. Now I've said do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so that's the that's the kind of thing. It's like you. I think you mentioned it early early on. It's like. We worry so much about the opinions of others that we don't think about the, our own opinions and our own thoughts about ourselves, and so we get caught up in the aesthetics. And as I move forward, I've broken down a lot of those walls. There's still more to break down, but yeah. um, you know, Snapchat is my daily vlog right now, and it will grow into yeah. something more public as it goes. And and just because um, I I don't always think of things because of the, the all or nothing thing. I don't I don't ever think of the middle ground. You can always start a blog and do not daily. You can do like weekly. You can do like two times a week. So like if if I had had that idea and been like, oh no, it has to be every day. I can't like my brain can't think of like another way that it could be. And it usually takes somebody else to be like, you know, you don't have to do it that way. Yeah. And I'm like. Oh. Well, and we did do we did do a daily vlog for a week for Idea uh-huh. Lemon, and I was up till four in the morning every night editing it together. Yeah, <laughs> it was, no, that's that's how I yeah. It's like and then and then on Monday the next week I went yeah I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're like I'm good. You just have to like because then at that point then your quality is gonna begin to suffer. So you just have to like you can do quality over quantity and not do as many right. but make them good. Potentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, no, you can't. <laughs> Add it to your list. <laughs> yep, the ever-growing list. But yeah, I would say just in general, it's um, every day saying, "All right, I made this video on Snapchat. I have the option to say delete or or post." Mm-hmm. And yesterday, I sang show tunes on my Snapchat, <laughs> and so. I had the option to not post it, and you know it might have been a good option not to post it, but <laughs> I posted it anyway, and I ended up getting someone. Um, I got two messages back. One person saying, "Oh my god!" and they like finished the lyrics for it, and Aww. then the other person going, and because the other one was like a really high note, so I didn't. I was like, "And I'm done singing that note," and uh, they're like, "Good, good job knowing your limits." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "I was like, thanks, Emily." Uh, so it was like, yeah. And so I, I think that's the thing. It's just like slowly nudging yeah, yeah. up to that line every day a little bit. Yeah. All right. We need to wrap up before we do. Aaron, let our yep. listeners know, um, a little bit more about your blog, anything else you're working on and where they can find you. Um, my blog is called Aaron's Inside Job. Um, it started primarily, um, as a way for me to start talking about um, my addiction and, and recovery and kind of break the stigma around it and um, kind of like a healthy living focus. It started a lot with running because I was very into running. And at this point, it's been almost three years now, um, it has morphed into more of um, a wider look at health and wellness. So I have posts about um, physical health, mental health, um, emotional, spiritual health, Um, and then like a little glimpse into my life as well, but just basically like how you can live each day, um, trying to 
be the best person that you can. Um, and I'm very, I'm very open and honest and authentic on it because I find that in order for me to change the person that I was, I have to be completely opposite of that person. And so I live that life very secretive and now everything is just kind of like out on the table and it's a huge relief. And, um, I think a lot of people really appreciate that. And all of my, um, social handles are all the same thing. So Aaron's inside job on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If you go on my Instagram, there's a lot of delicious food. Um, You have some great food (laughs) porn on your Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and I'm actually the next, next big thing I want to do is, um, self-publish a book, um, that is basically the first part of it is my story. And the second part of it, um, goes through lessons that I wish that I knew, um, when I was younger and I didn't have to learn as an adult. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We'll have to talk more about that sometime because yeah. that's an interest of mine too. Yeah. Okay. Self-publishing a book that is not, not, yeah. not, yeah, yeah, yeah. not <laughs> writing a book about your life. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I'm interested yeah. in what the things you uh, wish you knew as a kid were. So uh, yeah, it's, I mean, just all like basic, the basic things like I, I like feelings aren't facts. So, you know, like, I, every time I felt anything, I was like, this is wrong, put it away and like, don't, don't react. And so it's like, um, like I didn't know that I could be angry. And then like, I didn't know that everybody wasn't supposed to be perfect. And it's just like basic things that I, I just didn't seem to, to learn or understand growing up. Um, and that like, you're enough as a person, just like who you are and you don't have to try to like be someone that you're not, you should read that part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, love it. <laughs> sure. Okay, so then to close out, we will go around one by one and answer, give our answer to the question for today, starting with Martin, ending with Aaron. Martin, okay. how do you overcome adversity? By nudging in the right direction every day. All right. Succinct. I like it. Succinct. Um, I've been on a stretch of giving succinct responses, but today I'm going to give a little anecdote <laughs> with my response. Uh, my answer for how do you overcome adversity? Everyone put your feet up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how do you overcome adversity? Um, I think, I mean, we talked about a lot about the mindset and everything, but what it boils down to, and specifically like what I've been going through with my knee injury, is when something happens, you can either take it as an absolute or you can take it as a partial and if you take it as an absolute, then you are in, in most cases you take, if it's a negative, an adverse thing that happens, the absolute becomes the end all be all. My life is over. This sucks, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take it as a partial, then the phrase that I have been like brainwashing into my head is make the most you can with what you have. Yeah. And that's what I keep trying to do every day is how do I make the most I can with what I have? And that's how I've been figuring out these yoga modifications. It's how you know, like I was doing a career coaching call with someone yesterday and they just like, didn't really want to accept what I was saying. They like had like a shitty job. They're like, I'm not learning anything anymore. Uh, and I gave her some advice on what to do, you know, to get a new job. But then I was like, while you're still at your current employer, start this thing I call a learning log every day, write down the date in one column and in the other column, by the end of the day, write down one thing you learned today. And she was like, but I don't learn anything anymore. That's the point. And I'm like, you're telling me there's not one possible thing you could learn that's new. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she she had accepted something as an absolute. So mm. no matter what, she's going to take every day as the worst possible day. Instead yeah. of saying, how do I make the most I can with what I have and try and make this job at least slightly bearable? Um, 
And that's something that I'm even taking it not only with the yoga stuff, but uh, I have over the last few months started a project uh, around pro wrestling called Monday Night Raj, where I have like my, my wrestling friends and I've even gotten one person just randomly online to join. Um, we like you create a wrestling character and you post on message boards calling each other out. And then I write a show script based on that. And I write it from the announcer's perspective, like as if you were watching WWE on TV. <laughs> so it's like a long ass blog post, but like announcing matches. Yeah. And then I I know long term, like I have said, like, I think my dream job is to be a writer for WWE and like an on-air personality, like the commentator, the one interviewing the wrestlers. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, all right, how do I, Martin, to your point, how do I nudge further in that direction? Well, this like... Just getting the blog up and doing this in its one iteration was the start. But for an hour before we got on this call, what I was doing was I was like, you know, I'm writing from these announcers perspectives, but I haven't yet figured out, like, what is the voice that these announcers are speaking in? Because, like, I'm writing as them, but I'm also using, like, the announcers of WWE I had growing up. Like, that's what's in my head. And I'm trying to break away from that. So for the entire hour before we got on this call, I was in GarageBand with my microphone and I was <laughs> announcing what I had already written on a blog post. So I'm like taking it to the next step of maybe I can create my own like mini episodes audibly out of this now. And and that's my way to figure out too. What is these, what are these announcers voices? What are their intonations? That'll make me a better writer for that. And it gets me one step closer to being an announcer of some kind. Um, Cause I'm just, I'm creating the work myself. I'm, I'm not saying, well, I don't have connections to the WWE. I'm not saying, well, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I don't work for the Chicago Cubs, so therefore I can't announce. I'm making the most I can with what I have. Were you in GarageBand with a microphone or with a pipe bomb? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's ha- a good one. Ha- hashtag phonetic, hashtag Raj's rap song, hashtag go check it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, long-winded, but I hope that got the point across. No, that was good. Uh, Aaron, how do you overcome adversity? Um, I think you have to keep walking. Um, I think it's very easy to give up, especially when things are hard. Um, but I think if you keep taking that next step, um, keep like challenging that fear that you might have, um, that eventually you will come out on the other side. I love it. That is my succinct response. Awesome. <laughs> Aaron Bahadur, thank yeah. you for You're joining welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's a lot of fun. Great. That wrapped up our conversation with Aaron Bahadur. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us, sharing all of your story and really diving into that conversation. We all definitely learned a lot from that one. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes and subscribing to the show while you're there. Ratings and reviews and subscriptions help more people find the show and therefore more people get to discover their inner awesome. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as where to contact Aaron, you can grab them all at idealemon.com. We have the full show notes listed there. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you again to Aaron Bahadur for being our guest. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You have been listening to Idea Lemon's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. Welcome to the party, we bout to get it on If your worries at the door, we bout to get gone Bacardi Limon in the bone, give me some dome Perry on, smoking the strong, give me Patron in the zone Shorty that I'm dancing up on, the snake charmer She made my black steak moan, I gotta have her See
her, then I grab her She turned me to a body snatcher Dude thought he had her At the party where she left with the dime at the party after The party don't start to the after party When your life is a party, you don't have to party So knowing when I'm waking, I'm taking a couple shots My life's a celebration Here's the toast to party people in the nation 